Philippians 1, 3 through 8. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine, for you all making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. It is right for me to feel this way about you all, because I hold you in my heart, for you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness, how I yearn for you all with the affection of Jesus Christ. Uh, We started a new journey last week. A new journey last week through the New Testament book of Philippians. Our normal sort of rhythm here at King's Cross is we go through books of the Bible Sunday by Sunday because uh, we, we believe that, that, that God's Word is useful for us, that it's practical, that it's, that it's helpful, that, that in the pages of Scripture, God reveals to us um, uh, uh, who, who He is, uh, who we are before Him, uh, and so we, we, we go through books of the Bible together. And, and one of the big themes of, of this book, one of the big themes of the book of Philippians is, is joy. Joy, which is an important concept because every single one of us is chasing after joy in some shape or form, right? Every single one of us is, is chasing after joy, but we find ourselves just unsatisfied, Our nation itself is based on the idea that every person deserves life, liberty, and the pursuit of what? Happiness. So life and liberty are givens, but joy and happiness, I mean, that's something you got to go after, right? Good luck with that. And so we have these brands trying to sell us joy through their products. We've got influencers trying to sell us joy through those brands. We've got politicians trying to sell us joy through their party platforms. Even churches will try to sell you joy in these man-made religious structures and systems. But each of these and all the other things that, that, that are trying to sell us joy, every single one of these just leave us wanting They leave us wanting. They leave us saying things like there's got to be something more, something deeper and more lasting than than just this. And the big idea in the book of Philippians is that true and lasting joy can only be found in knowing God and enjoying him forever. There's a well-known quote from an early church father named Augustine where he says, You have made us for yourself, O Lord, and our heart is restless until it rests in you. Our hearts are restless until they find their rest in in you. And so we're calling this sermon series For Our Joy. For Our Joy. And, and, And this morning we're going to look at the joy that we have as followers of Jesus in our partnership with one another. And our partnership with one another. So we're going to walk through Philippians 1, verses 3 through 8, where we see, first, here's our outline, what partnership is founded on. Secondly, what, how partnership is formed, the kind of partnership that Paul talks about. And lastly, how, that, how does that partnership actually flesh itself out here at King's Cross? So first... Let's look at what partnership is founded on. Now, I want us to start reading back in verse 1. 
I want you to remember when we, when we read this who Paul is uh, and, and who he's writing to. Want to know who Paul is and who he's writing to? Remember, Paul, we learned last week, is this guy who used to, he used to hate on Christians. He used to slaughter them for Rome, who he worked for. And then after Jesus changes his heart and he has this radical conversion experience, Paul becomes uh, probably like the most influential pastor and church planner in the first century, other than Jesus. The Apostle Paul writes like half of the New Testament writers, letters. And, and, and the Philippian church is one of those churches that he started. And so the book of Philippians is a letter that he wrote to them, and he writes to them with deep brotherly affection, with a, a, a deep brotherly and pastoral love that he has for them. And I want you to listen how he starts this letter. Read it with me, beginning in verse 1. He says, From Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi with the overseers and deacons, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. In verse 3 he says, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you all, making my prayer with joy. There's that word. Now, this is fascinating here because he says he makes his prayer with what? With joy. Now, if you remember, we, we talked last week, where's Paul right now? Paul's in prison. He's prison. I mean, this is first century Roman prison. So this isn't like prisons that we, we see today, right? Like, there's no cafeteria, right? There's, 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 no, there's no like jumpsuits made in your size, right? There's no beds. In first century Rome, in a prison there, you, I mean, it was, it was almost like a dungeon, right? You were in chains. You were left to rot. And Paul's in that place, and he says, every time I think of you, I make my prayer for you with, with what? With joy. How can he say that? In the condition that he's in, in the crappiest of conditions, how can he say that he, when he thinks about them, when he prays for them, that he prays with joy? How can he say that? He, he gives us the answer in verse 5. He says, because of your partnership, because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now, that's what gives him joy in this situation. You can kind of feel the love Paul has for these people, right? You can, you can feel the affection he has for them. In verse 6, he says, And I am sure of this. I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Now, there's so much happening beneath the surface here in that last verse. And you need to know, you need to know some backstory to understand what this verse says about the foundation of partnership. The foundation of gospel partnership. Remember, that's our first point. And so I want us to dig, dig deep, do some deep Bible work. I promise you it'll be worth it. But, but I want you to remember uh, uh, that Paul here, uh, his background, all right? Paul's background, he's, he's, he's a Jewish rabbi. That was, that's what he was trained to do. And, and so he was born in, in Tarsus, which is in modern-day Turkey. So this is a, like a privileged region for Jews to, to, to grow up in, uh, in, in, in the Roman Empire. And so he's well-educated. He studied, we know from the book of Acts, under a guy named G G Gamaliel. 
who, if, if you read Jewish history, I mean, he's like the rabbi of the first century. Everyone wanted to study under him, the premier teacher of the law. Now, with that in mind, I want you to look at verse 6 again. And Paul says to the church in Philippi, he says, I'm sure of this, that he, speaking of God, who began a good work in you, will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Now, when we read this verse, we see that as an encouragement that, like, of, of Paul saying to this church, you know, God's not done with you yet, Right? And that's what we think of when we read that, that verse, that, that his work is not over. He's not done with you yet. God who began a good work with, with, in you, he, he'll, he'll finish that work, right? And so we see that as Paul encouraging them and saying, look, I'm not done with you yet. And that's good and true. But if you're a studied first century rabbi like Paul was, then you know there's a deeper meaning below that verse, there's three words that would pop out to you if, if you had the sort of background that Paul did. Three words. Began, good work. I mean, technically, that's two words, right? <laughs> I'm a pastor, not a mathematician. Uh, and completion, right? Three words or phrases. Pa- began, good work, and completion. Now, really quick, turn left in your Bible to the book of Genesis. If you have a Bible, turn left to the book of Genesis. That's all the way left, right? And we're going to go to Genesis chapter 1. Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. What does it say? It says, in, in, in the what? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, right? And if you skim over to verse to verse 10 and verse 12 and 18 and 21 and 25, if you, if you look down Genesis chapter 1, before sin entered the world and tainted it, it says well, God created all things. He steps back, he looks at his creation, and he says that, that it looks what? Good. It looks good. God saw that it was good. It says that over and over again. In the very last verse of Genesis 1, uh, Genesis 1 verse 31, it says, God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. And then the next verse, Genesis 2 uh, verse 1, it says, Thus the heavens and the earth were finished. If you have the NIV translation, it's that word completed. So in the beginning, God created all things. He step, takes a step back. He says that all that it was good. And then Genesis chapter 2, verse 1, he, he, it says, Thus the heavens and the earth were completed, were finished, all the hosts of them. Now go back forward to Philippians chapter 1, verse 6. With that in mind, with Genesis 1 and 2 in mind, let's read that verse again. Genesis or Philippians 1, verse 6 says, I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Do you see that? Do you see what Paul's saying here? What he's saying? He's making a profound point to this church. He's, he's, he's saying to them the same creative power that made the entire universe and ushered it into existence is also at work in you. Man, that's a deep encouragement. That's a, I mean, that, that's a deep encouragement. The God who made all that is, is also at work in you. 
This isn't a far off distant God. He's near. He's alive. He's great. And he's at work in you. The sovereign work of the God of the cosmos is pulsing in your, in your veins. And here's what I want you to see in, in, in this verse, in this passage. The foundation of our partnership with each other. The foundation of how God works in the church throughout the ages. And how God works in, through the, the local churches just like King's Cross. The foundation of our gospel partnership with one another is God's partnership with us. That is the foundation of our partnership. You see, Paul is pointing their attention to God's work in their past, in their present, and in their future. We see, and you see, he points to how God has been at work through their whole story in their past and present when he says, you know, God has been at work in you from the first day until now. If you remember from last week, like Paul was there to start this church like 10 to 12 years earlier, right? Long before Paul was in prison, he, he came, we read about it in Acts 16. He shows up in Philippi. There's not a single synagogue. There's not a single church there. He sees one prayer group with a bunch of women. He shows up, him and Timothy and, and, and Luke, they start sharing the gospel with these women. And then this, this really successful sort of businesswoman, uh, uh, she, com- she becomes saved. And she starts telling her friends and her family. And then there's this demon-possessed girl that is, that is actively uh, 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 doing things and saying things against, against God's work, against God's kingdom. She's trying to thwart uh, the work of the kingdom, and, 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 and she gets delivered, and she becomes a, a, a convert too in the early church in Philippi. Paul gets imprisoned, and then the jailer, the, the, the guard at, at, at the jail... Here's Paul and Silas singing and encouraging the other prisoners, and he gets saved too. Paul was there with this ragtag group of new believers back 10 to 12 years earlier when none of them knew Jesus. They had all kinds of different backgrounds. The woman had a privileged background. Uh, the, the young demon-possessed slave girl had, had, a, had a, a, a crazy broken past. The jailer was just kind of indifferent, doing his own thing. God saves every single one of them, brings them together. And Paul reminds them in this verse, he says, look, God was at at work. The the, the Lord who who began a good work in you will will, will carry it through to completion. I've been thankful for you from the first day until now, ever since that day. You see, Paul sees evidence that God is still at work in them. He sees God at work in their future as well. He says, God will bring that good work he started in you to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. The day of Jesus Christ is Paul's way of pointing forward to that day that all history is is going towards where Jesus, the creator, will break back into human history to put a final end to all that's wrong with the world, to all sickness, all suffering, to end all evil and death itself. How do you get joy in the worst of circumstances? 
in the hardest of circumstances like Paul did, if you want deep, satisfying joy, then you believe that God started a work and that he's not done yet. That the best is yet to come. That's how you endure with joy. You see, we need to start there. Talk about the foundation of our partnership because that's the groundwork for what it means to be partnered with each other. If we want to get a solid sense of what it looks like for us to be partnered with each other, then we need to first see how God has partnered with us. That that he's been so good and so gracious to involve us in, in the sovereign work that he's doing. And the most vivid evidence that God has partnered with you is the way that you're partnered with God's people. And that's our second part. Our second point now is how partnership is formed. Read back in verse 3 with me. Paul says, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you all, making my prayer with joy. Because of your what? Partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Now here's what I want you to see. A true partnership, the kind that brings Paul joy, the the kind that can bring us joy, is partnership that is centered on the gospel. He says, he says I, I, I thank God in, in, in every prayer of mine for, for you all, make my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel. Look at how he says it down in verse 7. In verse 7, he says, it's right for me to feel this way about you all because I hold you in my heart for you all are partakers of, with me of grace. Partakers with me of grace. So the partnership Paul has with them, with this church, it's not a superficial connection. This isn't a casual relationship. This goes down beyond the surface to something personal, to something profound. You see, the word partner there is is the Greek word koinonia. The Greek word koinonia, which, which, which literally means fellowship. Now, now we kind of sort of lost the, 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 the true meaning of that word fellowship in Christian culture today. Like, like we treat fellowship as something that we do when we're just sort of like kicking it together, right? When we're hanging out, like this right here is us doing church, and then what we do out by the donut table, like that's fellowship, right? Or when, when we hang out for lunch after, after the service or, or hang out after a home group, like that's, that's fellowship. But that, that word koinonia, that Greek word, is, 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 is really talks about like a deep bond. A deep bond that overlaps in all of life. It's more like the fellowship and the fellowship of the ring. It's like Lord of the Rings type of fellowship, right? It's not just shared time together. It's not just kicking it together. But it's a shared mission, a shared identity. We're in this together to the end. That's fellowship. Matt, Matt Kaiser, he's a pastor of Village Church in Irvine. They're, they're our ascending church. He, he puts it this way. He says, people that really possess the gospel are partnered together in the gospel. 
people who really possess the gospel are partnered together in the gospel. I mean, do you consider yourself somebody who, who possesses the gospel this morning? If, if you don't, like, that's okay. We're, we're glad that you're here. We're glad that you're here to, to learn from the scriptures, to explore this Jesus thing. One of the things I love about King's Cross is that the majority of the people who are in this room, who come to our, our, our church family, uh, probably about half of the people in this room, like, didn't really have a church, a church home like a year, a year or two ago. Most, a lot of the people that come to King's Cross are, 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 are people that, that didn't grow up with the church background, uh, or maybe they grew up with the church background and, and, and kind of walked away from that uh, for a number of, of, of years. Like, that happened to me. Like, when I was in high school, I started describing myself as, as a self-professing agnostic. I was like, I don't know if there's a God, and if there is, I'm pretty sure he doesn't care about me, right? I mean, that, that was a, a lot of people who, who, who start coming to, 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 to King's Cross. And, 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 if, and if that's you, uh, we're, we're, we're just glad that you're here. Because, I mean, there's, you could be so many other places on a Sunday morning. We appreciate that you're here. But if you are a follower of Jesus, and if, if this is your church home, and you consider yourself somebody who's, who possesses the gospel, Man, Paul says here that then you need to be partnered together in the gospel as well. You need to have that koinonia going on, right? A shared mission, a shared identity. Now think about your closest relationships right now. Think about your closest relationships. Like most of our relationships are built on either proximity or affinity, right? Most of our relationships, our closest relationships are built on proximity or affinity. Proximity is, is like, you know, like we work in the same place together. We grew up on the same street, maybe family member. We grew up in the same home. We went to school together. We hang out at the same bar. Or affinity, that's like, <clears throat> hey, we have the same hobbies. We play the same sport. We like the same team, shared interests, right? That's, that's community by affinity. Gospel partnership what Paul talks about, that goes deeper than all that. Gospel partnership is about shared identity. It's not about just doing the same things. It's about being cut from the same cloth. It's when both people in, in, in a partnership agree that, look, we're, we're, we're saying, look, we, we both belong to Jesus, and so we're going to walk in the ways of Jesus together. We're going to treat each other the way that God treats us. We're going to care for one another. We're going to be there for each other. When we sin against each other, we're going to repent to God and repent to one another because nothing is more important than God's work in us. And I'm for you, and you're for me. And we're going to do this Jesus thing together, right? That's the idea that Paul's getting at. That's the partnership in the gospel that Paul is, is finding joy in. It's this idea that the same way that God partners with us, in that same way, we will partner now with each other. That's what this church did for Paul. They cared for him. They encouraged him. They supported his growth and his ministry. That's why he says in verse 7, It is right for me to feel this way about you all because I hold you in my heart for all partakers of grace with me, both in my imprisonment and in my defense and confirmation of the gospel. 
Paul's saying, you guys have been with me when I've been in chains in prison, but you also were there for me when I was out preaching the gospel. You guys supported me. You guys encouraged me. You need to know that when Paul's writing this from a Roman prison, he's 800 miles away. All right? 800 miles away. And we, and we, and we know when we read the whole book of Philippians that that, that church... The church in Philippi, they sent a guy named Epaphroditus to care for Paul's needs while he was in prison. I mean, that's how they got this letter from him. Paul sent him back with a letter. Now, that's an 800-mile journey, an 800-mile walk. That's like walking from here to El Paso, Texas. This guy made that trek there and back. And the way that Roman prison system worked back then is you kind of had to take care of your own necessities, right? We mentioned earlier, like, there's no cafeteria, there's no beds or anything like that. Like, we know from the book of Acts that Paul got arrested in Jerusalem, but then they moved him around for four years until he finally ends up in Rome. That's where he's writing this letter. And that throughout that journey, Throughout those four years and when he was in prison, we know that every other church, every other friend that Paul has had abandoned him by that point, which kind of makes sense, right? I mean, it's like if Christianity somehow got outlawed and I got arrested for planting this church and preaching this gospel, some of you here who don't actually possess the gospel would be like, yeah, I think I'm over it, right? Like, hey, it was a good one run, but but it's not worth it. It's not it's not that much worth it. I, I don't want to end up like Pastor Chris. That's what happened to Paul. He says, everyone's abandoned me by now except for you guys. He was about to starve to death until they sent Epaphroditus. And he shows up at, at, at the prison because, you know, you, 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 they didn't take, the prison didn't take care of your bare necessities. Like, if you wanted clothing, somebody had to come visit you and bring it to you. If you wanted to write a letter to somebody, somebody had to bring you pen and paper. And he was about to starve to death, but then Paphroditus shows up and says, Hey, Paul, I don't know if you remember me. It's been like 10 years, but, but my name is Epaphroditus. I'm from, I'm from Philippi. I'm here for you. They sent me. I brought you clothing. There's a letter from the church in Philippi. Here's some paper and a pen in case you want to write back to them. And Paul tells them, the church in Philippi, he says, look, I thought it was over for me. I thought I was done for, but then you showed up. You were there for me. Because of your commitment to meeting my physical and my spiritual needs, I can have joy right now. I know God is at work in you. I'm alive because of you. You are evidence of God's grace to me. He starts to look back now at the way that God has worked through the church in Philippi. And he's like, you guys have supported me all this time when I was in prison and out when I was preaching the gospel. And by the way, has that ever happened to you? When you look back at your life to a season that was hard and confusing in that moment. And you're like, God, what are you up to? Why is this happening to me? But then later on, you look back and things start to make sense, right? Has that ever happened to you? And you're like, wait, what? Wait, God was at work in, in that situation. And, then, and through those people, and then this other situation. See, Paul, in writing this letter, he's starting to see the fingerprints of God all over his relationship, his partnership with the church in Philippi. You see, God's partnership with them 
and the gospel was the fuel of their partnership with one another. The way God loved and saved and cared for them, the way that God partnered with them in the gospel overflowed in their partnership with Paul. So now I want us to talk about what, is that, what does that look like at King's Cross? What is, how, does, how does partnership flesh itself out? How does partnership flesh itself out? First, we see from, if we're using Paul's, Paul's passage here as an example, we see that we first we need, to be, we need to be thankful for one another. We need to be grateful for one another. Paul says in verse 3, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you. What would it look like for you to practice gratitude with each other? You see, this is a challenge for us, especially in the West, because we are by nature ungrateful people, right? We are uh, by nature ungrateful people. We have more than any other society in any other time, yet we find all kinds of reasons to complain about anything. The other day, I was whining. We were, we were having like some guys from home group over uh, for a cigar night in, the, in, our, in our backyard, and we were, we were talking about about the weather. It was like really cold that night, and I was whining to them about how the weather forecast has been just really off the last several days. You guys notice that? It's been really off the last several days. I'm like, man, like I dress one way in the morning, and by the by the afternoon, I'm like sweating. Right? I mean. And I stopped to think about it. I'm like, I literally got mad because a group of humans couldn't accurately predict how much water would fall from the heavens on high or how cold the atmosphere would be, right? We're an ungrateful people. We take things for granted and we take each other for granted. Notice how Paul uses this all language, right? He says, I, I, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you. He says, he says, he says, he talks about all of his remembrance. Uh, he says, it is right for me to feel this way about you all. I hold you because I hold you in my heart for you all are partakers uh, with me. in the He says that phrase over and over again, this, this all language. We tend to, treat, to, to switch the language from all to some, right? I mean, for some of us, like we're thankful for some of the people in this room. People that are like us, people that are easy for us to talk to or to hang out with, but not others, right? Paul, though, he says, look, regardless of age, regardless of class, regardless of interest or hobbies, regardless of, of this, whether this person is an introvert or an extrovert, no matter your Myers-Briggs or your Enneagram type, right? He says, like, I'm thankful for all of you, for you all. There's a member of our church who, who, who told me that, that they specifically try to hang out with people who are really different than they are, that think differently, that talk differently, they, they have very different interests. The kind of things and interests that, that I happen to, to, to know like really annoys this person. But they said that, 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 that they, 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 uh, they, they make an intentional effort to, to press into those relationships because they, they, they find those relationships um, that even, even though that they're difficult to press into, that God works through those. And that's good for them. Makes them a softer person. Makes them a more gracious person. 
You see, God doesn't use people who are like us to sanctify us and look us more like Jesus. He often looks people, uses people that, 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 that cause friction with us. God loves diversity in his people. He wants diversity in his people, and it's good for us. And I love that. I love the example of that, that, that member of our church. And secondly, the example we see from Paul is that if the way that partnership fleshes itself out is that we, we, we pray for one another. We pray for one another. I mean, that's what Paul's doing here, right? That's what Paul's doing here. He's telling them how he's praying for them. He says he prays with joy for them all because of their partnership in the gospel. You see, partnership overflows into prayer. Because of my, our partnership in the gospel, Paul says, I pray for you with joy. Brian Seitz is really good at this. He does this for me on the regular. Like He'll text me every one to two weeks just to let me know how he's specifically praying for me. And I know he really does that because he's got this app that sends him notifications to remind him to pray for people. Scott Wilson, you guys remember Scott? He's our director of operations here at King's Cross. Uh, he um, went on to... Uh, you know, work for uh, another church up north. Um, whatever, I'm not mad. But um, <laughs> Scott uh, texted me the other day. He's actually with a sta- on a staff retreat with that church, uh, with his new church, and he let me know specific things that he's been praying for me and for our church while he's up in the mountains there. And, I, man, I was so encouraged by that. So encouraged by that. You see, Paul prays for this church his love for them, his affection for them, his, his, his partnership with them overflows into prayer. He prays that God who began a good work in them will complete it. He's thinking about them. He's like, man, I remember like how crazy things were, but how also awesome things were when we started this church 10 years ago with just a few of you. And now look at where you're at. Like 10 years later, I see God at work in you through the way that you're loving me and the way that you're encouraging me. And he's like, man, I have confidence that God will bring, bring what he started in you to completion, that you guys will finish well. You see, prayer, prayer fills the gap of what is and what could be. Prayer fills the gap for what God says currently is and what, what God says could be. Paul knows that God started a good work in them, but that God's not done yet. And so prayer fills the gap of what God began and where he's taking us. See, do we believe that God loves to work through the prayers of his people? See, usually, there, there, I mean, there's always a danger when you talk when you, when you have a when you talk about prayer in a sermon because usually, like, people walk away feeling really guilty, like, oh man, like I really need to pray more, right? Um, which, like, I mean, maybe you should, right? But, like, we we we, we don't we, it's we're, we're not trying to 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 to, to it, it, it's not a it's not a shame thing, it's not a guilt thing. It's like a man, like I get to pray. Right? This is, this is a joy for me. I mean, Paul says that he makes his prayer with joy. He doesn't say that he's coerced into prayer. He doesn't say God twisted his arm into prayer. It says that his partnership with them, his relationship with them just overflows into prayer. Because he wants them to finish well. And so they pray for one another. Thirdly, partnership fleshes itself out in the way that we care for one another. We showed the example earlier with the, the way that the Philippian church sent Epaphroditus, I and mean, that's what they did for Paul. 
right? That's what he's doing for them in prayer. Verse 8, he says, For God is my witness, how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. That's a deep-seated Christian love that he's talking about. What he's saying here is that when, when, when you... When you get and understand how much Jesus has loved you and has cared for you, how he endured for you and pressed in and persevered with you, once you get and understand that, that changes your heart. That changes your heart. It melts your heart. And it changes your posture towards the other people around you. And so when you think of others, your hope and prayer is that you can be an encouragement to them. You could carry them in your heart and pray for them. How many of you, when you meet someone new to the church, that's decided to call this their church family, how many of you, when you, when you meet somebody and you're getting to know somebody new, you're thinking, man, what can I do to help this person grow in Jesus? What can I do to contribute to, to, to their holiness, to encouragement in, in that? A lot of times, I mean, we, 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 when we meet new people, we're trying to figure out, like, hey, what do we have in common, right? Do we like going to the same places? If so, we should, you know, we should go hang out there sometime. We should grab a drink sometime. Nothing wrong with that. Nothing wrong with that, but it needs to graduate from there. Partnership in the gospel. Koinonia. Deep-seated, grace-driven fellowship. When you get a grasp of how God has partnered with you, of what Jesus has done and is doing for you, then you grow from, then you, you kind of go from being a narcissistic, self-centered person to a person who understands that they've received much grace and now wants to help others grow in grace. Now has compassion and grace for others to help them grow, to encourage them in their growth. Lastly, partnership fleshes itself out in how we commit to one another and how we commit to one another. I mean, we, we, we need this, especially in the West, because we're, we're, we're so hyper-focused on, on our individual spiritual journeys that we forget that God doesn't just reconcile us to himself and Jesus, but he adopts us into a family. Like, there's no such thing as a Lone Ranger Christianity. Christianity is not a solo effort. It's a team sport. It's not about independence, but it's also not about codependence. It's about a beautiful interdependence where we're joined together in Jesus, and we need each other for growing in holiness. Paul knows this. That's why he's writing this letter. It's because of his commitment to encourage them, to pray for them, to be with them in their common mission and identity. You see, the Bible gives us a metaphor for the church. It gives us many metaphors, but in one of those metaphors, the Bible says that Jesus is the head and the church is like his body. You can't have a body without a head. But guess what? You, I mean, you can't have a head without a body either. I mean, that's pretty creepy too. All kinds of wrong. You can't have a real relationship with Jesus in the biblical sense of that word without having a committed relationship with Jesus' people. You can't. Open up the New Testament and try to find anybody that has a meaningful relationship with Jesus outside of a local church. A commitment to like, it doesn't exist. It doesn't exist. Did you know that the overwhelming majority of the commands that we see in the New Testament are attached to two words? 
one another. One another. So many of the commands, the overwhelming majority of the commands in the New Testament are attached with the phrase, one another. I'll read just a handful of them. We see commands to love one another, to serve one another, to accept one another, to to strengthen one another, to help one another, to encourage one another, to care for one another, to forgive one another, to submit to one another, to commit to one another, there's that word, to live in harmony with one another, to confess our sins to one another, to not pass judgment on one another, to not slander one another, to spur one another on towards loving good deeds, to sing alongside and to one another. We're about to do that in a moment. To be of the same mind with one another, to comfort one another, be kind to one another, outdo one another in showing honor, live peace with one another, carry one another's burdens. And the list goes on. To be crystal clear, The type of commitment we're talking about isn't this coercive, hey, look, I'm demanding these things from you. It's more of this grace-driven, like, look, because Jesus did this for us, because he's he's done this for us by grace, I'm going to be this for you. It's a covenant. It says, look, regardless of how well you do this for me, I'm in this for you. And if you'll try to do the same for me, because I need you, and Jesus says we have a shot at something beautiful here. But I'm in this for you no matter what, for you, for the family, for our joy, our joy. You see, with all these one another's, we see that we can't, we can't follow Jesus We can't walk in the ways of Jesus in any meaningful sense without other people. Look, none of us are here to impress each other, right? We're partnered in the gospel. We're partnered in grace. We're not here to posture. We're here to receive grace together, to grow in grace together. None of us are here to impress each other. I'm not here to impress you. Like if you dig down deep into my sin-stained heart, you'll see that, that, that I'm not that awesome. Some of you are like, yeah, we knew that. Look, neither are you. Neither are you. And, and that's good news. That's actually good news because the good news is that even though we are worse than we could ever see or admit in Jesus, we are more loved and accepted than we could ever imagine. I can rest in my frail, fragile suckiness, in my need for God's grace. The only thing that I bring to the Lord's table, the only thing I bring to this family is my need for God's grace. And the same is true for you. And together... We can enjoy his grace together. Together, we can encourage one another in his grace, grow together in his grace. And so let's strive to be this kind of people to one another.
partnered with Jesus and partnered with each other for God's glory and by God's power, knowing that he who began a good work in us will be faithful to complete it. Thank you for listening to the King's Cross Church Podcast. We'd like to encourage listeners to be part of a local church gathering. If you're ever in the Orange County, California area, we'd love it if you'd come by and visit on a Sunday morning. For meeting times and locations or any other information about us, please visit kx.church. There's no .com in that, just kx.church. Thanks again for listening.